Okay, hello everybody. Today is Tuesday. Welcome to this special bonus episode of Black Box Online Radio. I was planning on doing an AMA for the book Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, which has been assembled by Tom Voigt. However, it is um, a compilation of the Zodiac police reports in chronological order, and I wanted to dedicate this segment to that. But because of all the excellent questions and comments that you guys have been sending in, there are going to be two AMAs this week. So tomorrow's AMA on Wednesday will happen as regularly planned. It's just going to be uh, focusing more on the Manson family, the disappearance of Maura Murray, and the Kennedy assassination. I also have to say, it appears that a West Virginia thunderstorm has just started outside here, so I hope that won't bother us too much. It is one of the louder ones that we've had in recent months. Now, to get right into the discussion about the Zodiac Killer, I want to um, talk about the questions and comments that you guys have left on the first two episodes. This is kind of like a midway point, like a halftime, if you will, because I did one episode on the police reports from Lake Herman Road, the first confirmed Zodiac incident, and then a second episode on Blue Rock Springs, the second confirmed Zodiac incident. And why don't we just jump right in and talk about the Zodiac Killer and go to our first question from Brad Jessica, who says, Ned, don't the police reports give weight to Thomas Henry Horan's original theory? You said that one of the fascinating aspects of the police reports is that they showed multiple people could be suspects. I don't buy the Snook theory or any of Thomas Henry Horan's later conspiracy ramblings, but the police reports do show that each crime has a handful of people who could have actually been attached to the crimes. Okay, Brad, thank you for the comment there. And to share something about Thomas Henry Horan's theory, he is the supporter of the Zodiac Hoax Theory. It's the subject of the Great Zodiac Killer Hoax series, or it's also been put into one book, The Myth of the Zodiac Killer. And that is that, more or less, there was no Zodiac Killer. There was someone who was writing letters taking credit for murders that he did not commit. And that person has been identified as Thomas Henry Horne, as Harold K. Snook. Hal Snook, the person that Brad was talking about in that one. And the, I think it's good to bring this up now because the first two episodes are talking about what is in the police reports. All right, now we can talk about other people's theories um, after they've extracted these pieces of information. And the whole reason is Thomas Henry Horan claimed that he went through the police reports and he found that there were pieces of information that the real killer should not have known. That's what made him think that this was a Zodiac hoax. Someone was writing letters taking credit for murders that he did not commit in 1969. Yes, of course, the Lake Herman Road murders occurred in 1968, but it's not until the summer of 1969 that the letters begin and someone is saying that I will state some facts that only I and the police know, and they're trying to create this type of persona, mailing in um, letters, but and the letters function in creating a three-way relationship. I'm stealing some of the terminology from that Netflix special, Sons of Sam, talking about a three-way relationship among the killer, the police officers, and the media, particularly newspapers. But let's go back to that question one more time. Don't the police reports give weight to Thomas Henry Horan's original theory? Okay, um, 
I'll try to answer that. There were three big pieces of info that stood out to me reading the police reports from Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. Lake Herman Road is the murders of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. Blue Rock Springs is the murder of Darlene Farron and the shooting of Mike Michaud. Point number one. There is an illustration in the early parts of the book, in the police reports, that depicts the two bodies at the Lake Herman Road murders. One of the only times, or maybe it actually is the only time, the Zodiac Killer was able to kill two people at once. Mike Michaud survived Blue Rock Springs, Brian Hartnell survived the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and of course at the Paul Stein murder, there was only one person present. But there's an illustration that depicts... Um, the female victim with her feet toward the west, and it depicts the male victim with his feet facing the car. Then the Zodiac would go on to include that in the first letter, saying, I will state some facts that only I and the police know. The boy had his feet to the car, and the girl had her feet to the west. Okay, well, I mean, there's a very clear illustration that that depicts that exact thing. And we have to remember, though, Lake Herman R Road occurred at night. The shooting was done after dark, and um, maybe 10.30, maybe 11 p.m., definitely you're going to have the sun set because it was December 20th of 1968, approaching the winter solstice, one of the darkest nights of the year. There was no sunlight at Lake Herman Road. I am almost certain of that. I would bet my life on that. And someone is going to say, the girl had her feet to the west. Well, that is quite an odd thing to recall. These are the points in favor of uh, this question that Brad was asking. Point number two. The Zodiac said that after the Blue Rock Springs shooting, the female victim was wearing patterned slacks. And this becomes one of the reasons why people know about Thomas Henry Horry and about how he rose to prominence. It was This was one of the first things I ever read about him. I heard an interview with him on the Opperman Report. Then I started uh, going to Google, looking at the sources that were available, and I encountered um, this article from Mel Magazine. It was called something like this eccentric academic thinks that he has solved the Zodiac Killer mystery, where he claims that he has solved the Zodiac Killer mystery. And that was the first one that they pointed out, because... In the police reports, it does say that Darlene Farron was wearing a slack dress, a one-piece jumpsuit, and maybe somebody did not know what that was, and they uh, did not um, know the exact terminology, so they wrote that she was wearing patterned slacks. I said this in the Blue Rock Springs episode, but a slack dress is a one-piece jumpsuit that has two pant legs, and um, it was described in that Mill Magazine article as... If somebody were looking at the woman from a distance, they would think that she's wearing a dress until she started to walk. Then they would think that she was wearing pants. But um, Darlene Farron was sitting down the entire time. At Blue Rock Springs, Mike Mageau and Darlene Farron are in the car. Somebody approached the passenger side, carrying a large flashlight, one that was big enough to have a handle. They showed the flashlight inside the car, and then started firing according to the witness. There was a first shot, there was a second shot, and then the shots happened in rapid succession. And this is the witness of the guy who cannot sleep, who is living about 800 meters away. All right, so that's another point that um, seems to be consistent. And the third one, the one that I think is perhaps the most um, important and the most vital, when the Zodiac wrote that... Um, I didn't leave with um, uh, 
with uh, the squealing tires and the, uh, what's the other line? Is it the blaring engine or something? I didn't leave with the squealing tires. I left slowly and quietly not to draw attention to myself. And in the police reports, there it is, the term squealing tires and burning rubber. So um, that phrase, squealing tires, is used in the police reports. So it sounds like somebody is... Um, is drawing upon this information. And that's the foundation of the Zodiac hoax theory, that there isn't a single killer going around committing these crimes, that someone is writing letters taking credit for murders they didn't commit. And what I've said about the hoax theory in the past is, it's almost as if someone has provided a solution to a murder mystery, but you don't actually find out who the murderers are, because it, there are three major claims to the hoax theory. The first is that Robert Graysmith wrote a book in 1986, or published it, rather, that's filled with lies. The second is that um, the person who wrote the letters did not commit all the murders. And the third is that the letter writer has been identified as Hal Snook. And, um, I mean, whoever committed the crimes is uh, something that I think is not quite answered yet in the hoax theory. And perhaps there could have been... Um, some drug-related, gang-related shootings that took place, or there could also um, be some other explanations. But those are the three points in favor. What about some skeptical alternatives to those things? Point number one, if you look at the illustration and the girl has her feet to the west and the boy has his feet to the car, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, that is, why would somebody make a note of that? in their mind. Why would somebody remember that? Here's a skeptical alternative. The Zodiac Killer remembered that because Lake Herman Road veers to the west. The road curves to the west. Maybe they left driving west. Even if they were driving eastward, I mean, it's a road. You're going to probably encounter that at some point that you're driving westbound or eastbound. There are all kinds of signs about that on road. This is the north side. This is the south side. Because we definitely, almost certainly know that the Zodiac Killer approached the uh, crime scene at Lake Herman Road in a vehicle. So then somebody drove in, and then maybe they drove out westward. And then they're going to see this image of Betty Lou Jensen with her feet facing the west. Anybody could, who had, was the actual killer would have the ability to remember that. Point number two. I mean, Darlene Farron was wearing a slack dress. Maybe some way, somehow, this person who's using a flashlight to look inside the car thought that she was wearing pants. I mean, patterned slacks. Slacks are another name for pants. I mean, maybe they could tell that, that her one-piece jumpsuit had pant legs. Point number three. If somebody is going to use the phrase squealing tires in the police report, does that not also show that it is the contemporary language of the era? I mean, burning rubber is used in the police report as well. I'm very familiar with that one. Squealing tires, not so much, but I definitely know what they're talking about. If somebody wrote it in the police report, then doesn't that also suggest that it is a commonly used expression? or at least it was at the time, and it's definitely not language that is so bizarre that you'll have no idea what they're talking about. I'm sure you also know what that means, burning rubber and squealing tires. So there could be other explanations that are provided. That's not something that I can take into a court of law or anything, but 
though that is just the first things that have come to mind. On to our next comment. This one is from Anna Morris after the Lake Herman Road murders episode. She says, I was the same age as Betty Lou Jensen, so I remember the Zodiac crimes in real time. I lived 800 miles north of San Francisco, but the press pushed the story so much that people everywhere, especially kids, believed that the Zodiac was anywhere and everywhere, and that he might at any time strike in one of our small towns. The whole thing always had an unreal feeling, and I never believed one man did in the Zodiac series. In my opinion, Lake Herman Road happened, and maybe it gave an idea for the Zodiac to copycat. I think at times Zodiac claimed the crimes of others. Later on, there are the connections to the Mikado and the Zodiac writings. Much has been written about all of this, but I have never seen anyone make a connection that seems obvious to me. A theme of the Mikado is that flirting has been outlawed and is punishable by death. Thus, for example, we have the Lord High Executioner. What if Lake Herman Road happened, for unknown reasons, with the killer undiscovered? Imagination suggests that couples were at a lover's lane, parked or being romantic, flirting or kissing. Now what if the Zodiac, Love the Mikado, had been rejected by women and he wanted to execute happy couples for normal activities that the Zodiac was unable to enjoy? My point is, Mikado-loving Zodiac could have seen Lake Herman Road as an execution of lovers. Maybe he wished he had been the Lord High Executioner. Maybe he claimed that crime and did some others on his own. Except for Paul Stein, what we know of these supposed Zodiac crimes is that he attacked couples. Okay, now, Anna Morris. This is one that's going to go into the category of even if this is not true, true or false, I like the way you think. I really like your insight. We're just going to have to make a file for all the people who have just shared brilliant comments about the true crime world. And, um, I mean, Anna could be completely right, but no matter what, I think that your insight is really awesome into this. This would be a theory that Lake Herman Road is not genuine Zodiac activity because Lake Herman Road occurred on December 20th of 1968 and the Blue Rock Springs shooting occurred on the 4th of July 1969, seven months between these two events. And the people who have a single perpetrator suspect um, have explanations about why they believe that they're their suspect, did not uh, act during those seven months. But if you look at this one, the comment that Anna has laid out, Lake Herman Road was not genuine Zodiac activity. It was a crime that was committed by somebody, someone who was not connected to the Zodiac mystery at all, a double homicide, and then the Zodiac was inspired by the Mikado. And if you haven't seen the Mikado, it is all about how the uh, how flirting is a crime that is punishable by death, and you heard that's the reason why they have a Lord High Executioner, and that um, somebody wanted to bring that to life. They wanted to cross the type of fantasy threshold that should not be crossed and do these horribly destructive actions, and you really get a sense for that when you're reading the police reports about how... Um, People's families are affected by this, and people are losing their sister, their brother, because of the Zodiac Killer. Here's a commonality, though, that is shared between the Lake Herman Road murders and the Blue Rock Springs shooting. Going through the police reports, no motive seems to be established. That is another point that is um, in favor of something 
uh, to the contrary, something that is contrary to the Zodiac hoax theory, that the only motive seems to be the Zodiac killer. However, if we're going to say that Robert Griesman wrote that book full of lies in 1986, or published it in 86, rather, he actually started work on the book in 1972, then it's also important to note that the whole reason that question was asked in the first place, the first question, that is, is that um, Griesman said that there were no real other suspects in the case. Now, motive may not have been established, but clearly from the police reports, all of these crimes have numerous suspects, and then some of them may seem stronger than others. And I would like to talk about that one for just a second, because we had a comment that came from Classic Chevy Cat, who uh, says something about one of these alternative suspects, and his name is Richard Burton, also known as Ricky Burton. I often call him Richard Ricky Blank. He is the guy that has been threatening David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen prior to their murder. It appears that Ricky Burton was seeing Betty Lou Jensen for a while, and then she started seeing David Faraday. By seeing, I mean, they were involved with some type of flirtatious exchanges. He would call her on the phone, and they would walk together in the hallways in school, but it appears from her friend's testimony that she did not see Ricky outside of school. They didn't even go on a first date. They just spent some time together in school and talked on the phone. And um, I would like to read um, Classic Chevy Cat's comment. As far as Ricky is concerned, I'd give him a one on the suspect meter, maybe even a zero. Sounds to me like he was just a teenager who was jealous and blowing off steam, acting tough, and maybe a little weird. I so enjoy your show, Ned. Thank you, Classic Chevy Cat. But um, as for Ricky being a suspect, I do not think that he committed the murders of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. But they had to look into the guy. Absolutely, they had to, because in Betty Lou Jensen's gym locker, there's a note that says this guy, Richard Ricky Burton, has threatened me. And Ricky would go on to also threaten David Faraday. He threatens Betty Lou Jensen, he threatens David Faraday, and they end up murdered. Absolutely, he is a suspect, and he isn't the worst suspect in the world for the Lake Herman Road murders, except... um. I think if you were going to implicate Ricky in the crime, you would have to involve some other participants and not have Ricky as the sole trigger man. But um, the reason why they have to look into him is because he is making the threats. But what is a threat that a teenager, a teenage high schooler, is going to make? He said that he wanted to punch David in the teeth. It's stuff like that. Yes, he's making comments and he's expressing deviant behavior. Perhaps he has also been stalking Betty Lou Jensen to a certain extent. And this relates to a lot more of um, a lot of alleged and unconfirmed information. For example, Betty Lou's mother would come home and she would find the gate open when it shouldn't have been. And they suspected that it was Ricky. As well as Betty Lou Jensen said, please close the windows to her sister because she thought that Ricky might be trying to peep in. Well, I mean... Was Ricky actually doing that, or is that just a little bit um, of paranoid and suspicious behavior on, on the part of the Jensen family? We may never know. But um, the point is, Ricky did not threaten to murder David Faraday, to the best of my knowledge. From these reports here, it says he wants to punch him in the teeth, and then it says that he wants to fight him with brass knuckles. That is hardly some something that would suggest I'm going to sneak up behind him and shoot him with a twenty-two caliber gun. So no, I don't think that Ricky was the lone shooter at Lake Herman Road. But um, 
as far as motive going on, I think that the aim of jealousy, revenge, something like that would perhaps be a little bit more comprehensible in the Farron murder, because Darlene Farron had numerous male suitors, she had numerous extramarital affairs, and somebody could have been pushed the wrong way. In the police reports, there's even the testimony from someone named Gordon Arthur. His last name isn't mentioned, it's been redacted, so I just call him Gordon Arthur. And he says that he had somewhat of a long-standing affair with Darlene Farron. She may have even gotten pregnant and had a secret abortion about, um, a secret abortion to uh, remove the child, remove the, um, unborn child, that is. Remember, abortion was illegal until the 1970s, and that occurred in 1979. And, um, the only thing that suggests that Gordon Arthur had nothing to do with this was he claims that Darlene Farron was the one who was wanting a relationship with him, and he wanted to break things off, and he wanted to terminate things much earlier on than she did, so that hardly sounds like someone who is going to murder her out of some type of revenge ploy. Okay, our next comment comes on the Blue Rock Springs episode that says, A straight, factual, as much as we know timeline. Episodes of The Crimes would be great. This is from Vinyl Solution, by the way. In particular, the Blue Rock Springs crime... Movements of Darlene Farron and Mike Majot, movements of the patrol officers, the teens at the Blue Rock Springs crime that reported it, phone calls, no speculation, just so-and-so does this and so-and-so does that, say, 1 p.m. to 2 a.m., July 4th and 5th. I think that would be an excellent idea for a future episode of Blue Rock Springs Timeline. I, um, that could be pretty good. Good idea. The next comment comes to us from Dragar. Nid, this question has nothing to do with Blue Rock Springs, but I was wondering if you have any thoughts in regard to a claim that was made by the host of the Zodiac Killer Insights series, that an ABC film crew had actually caught the Zodiac Killer on camera, crossing the street on the day of his rendezvous with Melvin Belli and Jim Dunbar. Alright, this is from a different video, and because I was asked about this directly, I went over to the Zodiac Killer Insights series channel, and I watched the video that Dragar is talking about, and the Zodiac Killer Insights series is hosted by Joe, who is uh, from Portugal, now living in Australia. Joe is a believer that Gareth Penn was the Zodiac Killer, that's his suspect, and Gareth Penn also committed the 1966 murder of Sherry Joe Bates, as well as the 1967 murder of Nikki Benedict in Poway, California. I watched the video, and I can see what Joe is talking about. There's going to be an image inserted here of the man in question, and there's this man that awkwardly walks onto the camera and then walks out, and Joe's, um, one of Joe's uh, pieces of reasoning is people don't normally cross the street like that. He's very definitively trying to get the either the attention of the cameraman or get into the frame in some way. Is this another Zodiac Killer taunt? It's possible. It's possible. Except for the fact that, I mean, the only piece of counterbalance I can provide is I don't think that we can make that type of determination based on that, um, based on what little we have. I think that we would need something a little bit more substantial. But the Zodiac Killer definitely did make taunts like that, and the Zodiac was also appearing to be somebody who would hide in plain sight, once again, not after Blue Rock Springs, but after the Stein shooting, the Zodiac escaped capture by walking away slowly and quietly, the way he said he did after Blue Rock Springs. 
Um, I do need to share one thing about that, only because we're talking about slowly and quietly. One of the pieces of info in the hoax theory that states that the um, the true killer could not have known what was actually in the police reports or what was actually in the Zodiac letters is because of just that. I misspoke for a second. It's because they came from the police reports. After Blue Rock Springs, somebody drives his car in, and then he drives his car out of the park, and then he is stopped by the police later on, and he is questioned, and his name is Andy Nicolatus Jr., and he is the one who left slowly and quietly, not to draw attention to himself, but he then was um, either arrested or taken into the station on suspicion of felonies, so um, perhaps um, that's what the person in the letters was referring to, that incident, or maybe... That maybe that is just absolutely unrelated to the Zodiac letters and that somebody just made that up because when I talk about this with you guys in the comments section, the responses I mainly see about that is when the Zodiac said, I didn't leave with burning rubber and squealing tires, I left slowly and quietly not to draw attention to myself, you guys in the comments section seem to say, that's just some guy who's trying to sound tough or he's trying to sound cool, he's trying to sound badass. No, I'm not cowardly. I didn't run away, and I wasn't loud about it. They think that um, that's the type of uh, behavior that would be expressed. But um, on the note of the hoax theory, we have a comment from Albert Forrell who says, Yeah, that part about Darlene Farron's clothing is bugging me. Why state some facts that's not really accurate? Maybe Thomas Horan and Tom Voigt can discuss that. Oof. And it does say that. Oof. O-O-F. Um... Uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but I wish it would. Tom Void and Tom Horn discussing that, that is. Wacky Wayfarer has something to say. How many men, even today, would know the correct fashion terms and accurately describe women's clothing? A blouse or pants, for example. Do you know what a onesie is? And the only thing I think that, um supports that in the hoax series that Darlene Farron would have been sitting down, so how would someone know that she's wearing a slack dress versus uh, wearing patterned slacks? I mean, it really is quite an odd thing to say. Betty Lou Jensen was wearing a purple dress when she was murdered, and her body ended up outside of the car. Darlene Farron was inside the car, and no one was able to... Um, You shouldn't be able to make the very detailed observations, but patterned slacks, patterned slack dress... What a thing to debate. Wacky Wayfarer has a response from Playtime who says, For thousands of years, men wore dresses. Uh, I guess that's true, but um, I don't know about San Francisco 1969. I take that back. I'm sure people did. I'm sure men wore dresses in San Francisco 1969. Okay, moving on to some comments from other Zodiac episodes. This one came in recently on last week's AMA. And it is from Brandon Shin, who says, Donald Lee Cheney's my guy, till I am proven wrong. And add in Arthur Lee Allen as a partner. I'm convinced it's them together, without a shadow of a doubt, if that be the case. Until DNA can refute it, without DNA it will always be Donald Cheney, with the partnership of Arthur Lee Allen for me. And Drew Beeson, author of the book Citing In on the Zodiac Killer, has um, some... Um, well, he has compiled a circumstantial case that Don Cheney it was the Zodiac, with limited involvement from Arthur Lee Allen. 
And Arthur Lee Allen was the prime suspect identified by the police as well as Robert Graysmith and numerous other internet sleuths were also looking into Arthur Lee Allen. Many people write into the comment section and they think that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac Killer. But a lot of us have been suspicious in the past that Arthur Lee Allen may have had involvement in the case, but that somebody else was involved to a greater extent. And I think Drew Beeson was tipped off because of that documentary, um... His name was Arthur Lee Allen, or was it This Is The Zodiac Speaking, where Donald Cheney says he may have licked some of the stamps that were used. Arthur Lee Allen never licked stamps for the envelopes because he didn't like the taste of glue, so he would have somebody else do it for him. And then that uh, set Drew Beeson off on a pathway of looking into Don Cheney as the Zodiac Killer. But um, Arthur Lee Allen could have had some minimal involvement in his theory, in Drew's theory, that is, such as being the... Uh, driver or second shooter at Lake Herman Road, or being the type of errand boy, the messenger, the kind of person who's going to mail a letter from Pleasanton, California on March 13th, 1971, because he got a traffic ticket in San Francisco, so he drove 40 minutes out of the way, something, something like that. But, um, I mean, it's, um, I think if you'd like to hear more about that, I would highly recommend you check out the book discussion on this channel on sighting in on the Zodiac Killer. You can also follow Drew on his channel, The Zodcast, which is on his channel, Drew Beeson. I'd like to go on to a recent comment that came in on the episode, Zodiac Killer Shell Cavale Part 2. And I took a very hard stance saying that I did not believe that Shell Cavale was the Zodiac Killer. There are two episodes about him here on this channel, and it comes to us from Dr. Guffey, who says, totally disagree with the commentator here. The issue he raises, the issues he raises, I'm mean, correcting one word, were thoroughly covered by Mike Rodelli in his book, In the Shadow of Mount Diablo. I highly recommend this book. Okay, so um, I haven't read Mike Rodelli's book, but I was thinking about doing that one for the next Zodiac Killer book discussion, and the two that I would have been deciding between would actually be... um. Not in the shadow of Mount Diablo, but uh, The Hunt for Zodiac by Mike Rodelli, or Profiled by Mark Hewitt, because a lot of the things about the Zodiac Killer that I talk about on this channel are more of the profiling aspects as opposed to the ballistics, or as opposed to the, um, to the witness statements and so on. It's more about the um, psychological profiling, and as well as other types of what somebody once called trying to make a forensic educated guess about the subject. But those are the two books that I thought about doing in the future, and I might just open that up to the comments, um, to you guys in the comments section saying, which one would you rather hear about, Micro Deli's The Hunt for Zodiac or Mark Hewitt's Profiled? And then we could uh, do that one after the conclusion of Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts. So I would like to go on to the next one here, and this is from Playtime, who says, the Zodiac is a group of guys, and maybe a gal for the dropping off of correspondence. It's too complex for one guy. The ciphers require a computer. The aspect of ham radio being involved inserts the notion of others. There is a need for a second vehicle, too, to provide backup. When I was in the Marine Corps, the smallest group we had was called the Fire Team. I manned the pig, known as the 60 Mike Mike on my team. There was a scout, or two providing eyes, and then there was a guy behind me assisting. The normal team had four grunts, 
but at times we operated anywhere from three to six guys. Nowadays it's three grunts per team. Throwing lead was my job. My, steel, my ears are still ringing today. In so many aspects of the Zodiac, there is the military. It's a group operation. They only made it look like a Professor Moriarty. The red herrings are too numerous for just one guy. Too many different descriptions, weapons, vehicles, and art references. This was a team, three to six, or even nine guys at any one scene. Okay, playtime. I think this is a very insightful comment, except nine people at one scene? That one I am a little bit skeptical about, because I'm just not quite sure. I think I would need a little bit more convincing. As far as three people being involved with the Zodiac Killer mystery... When I was looking into this stuff after a year and then two years and then three years, I began to become very suspicious of multiple perpetrators, participants, something to that effect. And I have an episode called Zodiac Killer Z Psychology when I said that exact statement that it appears that we're dealing with the psychology of multiple people. And next... I learned about the Zodiac hoax theory that one person was writing letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit, meaning that there were multiple killers, but there wasn't this organized type of group. I mean, possibly, maybe, allegedly. Prior to learning about the Zodiac hoax theory, I thought that it was more of a thrill-kill club that maybe two, three, four, five people would have been involved with the planning of this, and... I mean, I know I said nine is too much when I said five only because there were four confirmed canonical crimes and maybe somebody could have been the letter writer up until maybe November 9th of 1969. But you would have a group of people working together, a thrill-kill club, committing murders because they think they're going to get away with it. And that would explain all of these differences or explain all of these different different time frames. I mean, there's so many things about the Zodiac Killer mystery that do not make sense. However, though, I mean, were, were they actually present at the crime scenes? That's something that I did not really entertain at the time. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind that there could have been three, six, or nine people at the crime scenes, because this is why people still think there's a single Zodiac Killer out there, that it is because one person could have done this. And I always said that during those uh, multiple killers theory episodes. One person could have committed all these crimes. And, um, I mean, I, I still have to say that that is entirely possible. As far as a single perpetrator going around, there has been a lot of talk about the Zodiac Killer suspect, McDuff, who has been brought forward by Mike Morford of ZodiacKillerSite.com, Tom Voigt, who provided me with the book... Zodiac Killer Just the Facts for these episodes also shared a message saying McDuff is a nothing burger with fries, and I'm leaning more and more toward that as um, the days go by, and I think a lot of people are really trying to um, hold on to the possibility that the Zodiac Killer mystery could be solved. I'm not going to lie to you, I want the Zodiac Killer mystery to be solved. Not one of those people who's like, the chase is more fun than the catch. No, let's put case closed on this file, and let's have our moment of, wow, that now it's over, and then let's move on to something else in the true crime world. There are many, of other, many other mysteries out there, as well as many other things that can be explored. But the other point, though, is that... Um, 
a lot of people have been very curious about this because David Orenchak, as well as Jarl Van Nyck and Sam Blake, solved the 340 recently within the last 12 months. Are there going to be new discoveries that are going to be coming out? Because for the longest time, everyone's like, it's going to be impossible to solve the Zodiac Z340. But then it happened. So we also had a comment that came in from Drew Beeson, as I said, author of the book Siding In on the Zodiac Killer, who said that Mike Morford better do something more than just say that they found a code book in the possession of his suspect, McDuff, and say that that's a strong piece of evidence. I completely agree. I mean, for starters, half of the Zodiac Killer suspects out there owned either code books or they had the knowledge of coding some way, somehow. Maybe they were exposed to it in the military, or perhaps they were very fascinated with symbology. But um, another point, though, that has been uh, shared in the police reports in the book Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, is the origin of some of these symbols and ideas, mostly the ideas, because Thomas Henry Hoare, an author of the book The Myth of the Zodiac Killer, says that the origin of the symbols that are used in the ciphers come from the Philippines. They come from a Filipino language, and I'm not sure exactly which one. He said it a few times on his show, The Stones Unturned podcast, but I've never caught the name. Then he's also said that when the Zodiac wrote in the 408 cipher that I will be reborn in paradise and those who I have killed will be my slaves, that comes from Filipino folklore. And then right in the police reports that I've been reading through after the Blue Rock Springs shooting, they have some, well, some discussions after the 408 cipher was mailed, because that happened after the Blue Rock Springs shooting and before Lake Berryessa, which was September 27th of 69. There's that discussion in the police reports, clear as day, that this is a belief system from the Philippines that um, when people are die, they will be reborn in paradise, and if they've killed somebody, that person will be their slave. So that could also be something to it. But um, oh, we should also uh, mention that because um, we talked about, was there this guy who was seen on camera around the time that Melvin Belli was supposed to have a rendezvous in the Jim Dunbar show and all that? The Zodiac wrote in the 340 cipher that that wasn't me on the TV. If you do get a chance to watch that video from Joe, who hosts the Zodiac Killer Insight series, um, it's definitely some food for thought. However, he does make the bold claim that he thinks that the person on the TV was the real Zodiac killer, the guy named Sam, who's, um, that's not his real name, what was the guy's name, Eric Will or something, it was traced back to a mental institution, and the reason why Joe disputes that is because he says that that guy would have had to have had some very extended amount of time at a mental institution where he should have been supervised making this type of crank call i will only share one thing the person in the in the uh melvin belli jim dunbar call who is addressing them as sam saying his name is sam i have headaches and um he has a very immature voice he sounds like someone who is 18 or 19 years old i believe he was 18 but yeah, it sounds like someone who is in their late teen years, and most people describe the Zodiac's voice as being much more mature, maybe around 30 years old, 25 to 30 years old, could be even older than that. And no, I don't, I'm not someone who can identify the age of someone's voice simply by hearing it. And 
I would also agree with Joe from the Zodiac Killer Insight series that would I even be able to identify someone's voice after 30 days or 90 days or even 40 years like Nancy Slover when she said that she heard Geik on the phone? I, uh, I simply do not believe that, that that is possible. I'm not able to remember somebody's voice 30 days later, but hey, that's just me. What do you think about the Zodiac Killer? What do you think about any of the suspects that we've talked about, whether it's Don Chaney, Suspect McDuff, Arthur Lee Allen, and Gareth Penn? That's Joe's suspect. That is from the Zodiac Killer Insights series. Well, you can share anything you want about that or anything about the Lake Herman Road murders and the Blue Rock Springs shooting. Do you think there is any credibility to the Zodiac hoax theory, or is this just um, a misreading of the evidence? Is this just... um? A type of jumping to conclusions when it comes to certain oddities in the police report because I said this in the Blue Rock Springs episode that I heard it on an episode of the Tate LaBianca radio program that the host Brian Davis said all right you have these facts but how are they connected why are they important for example that you have slack versus slack dress all right you have the girl has her feet to the west and you have this illustration where her feet are to the west I mean, you have squealing tires mentioned in two places. How does that mean that there is any type of link among these things? And um, I will turn it over to you guys. I think I've shared my uh, statements both for and against those. And I would love to see some responses from you guys in the comment section. Challenge everything, if, even if you disagree with everything I've said. But please tell me why. Tell me why that um, you disagree with that. And please stay tuned for tomorrow's episode where we will cover some other info on various true crime cases, the regularly scheduled Wednesday AMA. If you like this episode, you can hit the like button, and if you haven't subscribed yet, you're welcome to do so, but you can also download the show for free at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box, formerly known as Launchpad DM. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at aol.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook at blackboxonlineradio. My personal Facebook is in the description box here, and this show relies on your support. The best way you can support the show is just by listening. Check out some of the other episodes, some of the playlists. Visit Launchpad 1 and get some free downloads. If you would like to download the video of the show, you can use YouTube Premium. But you can also support the show by visiting the Teespring page. Check out some of the merchandise. Almost all sizes and colors are listed. And remember, being weird is not a crime. Okay, you can... Also, get me in the DMs on Instagram, blackboxnid88, and I will see you there on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.